Hello and welcome to Clout, a podcast profiling the journey of Asia-capable Australians. I'm your host, Lucy Du. At Clout Asia, we talk to Aussies from all backgrounds to learn about the dash of language, the pinch of culture, and the blind luck that led them to where they are today. We ask our guests to take us on their journey to Asia capability by sharing their choice of food, song, show, and person to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. My guest today is Friska Wira, a top 50 global change management leader. Friska has worked for the biggest names in mining, engineering, and technology, leading change programs that has influenced over 20,000 people across six continents, transforming organizations to enable them to better respond to the changing environment. Some of the names Friska has worked with include Microsoft, Salesforce, CultureAmp, KBR, SMEC, Expert360, and many more. Not just a global change management leader, Friska has led by example for women in business and women in leadership. And Friska regularly speaks and advocates for minority women in leadership on the global stage at events such as TEDx, Women in Tech, Women in Leadership, Future of Mining Sydney, some of the many, many names that she has appeared on. Today, we ask Friska to take us on her journey to Asia capability by nominating a food, a song, a movie, and person that help us understand what being an Asia-capable Australian is all about. Welcome, Friska. Good to have you here today on our show. Thanks so much for that introduction. (laughs) Glad to be here. Before we kick off, with your nominations for today. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background and journey and most importantly, what does change management mean and what does it mean to be a change management leader? In terms of background, so I'm Indonesian. I was born in Jakarta, the capital. I came to Australia in the single digits and my family, I moved with my grandparents. They first settled in Perth and Back then in the early 80s, there was no one that looked like me, spoke like me, ate the same foods as me. So it was quite an intense, turbulent childhood. Since then, I first cut my teeth uh, career-wise in management consulting and then got really bored. I was in the US at the time. I won a scholarship to study there. I came back to Australia and it was only then change management started to be recognised as an actual discipline. It really intrigued me. It played to my strengths. Every day is different. Every company is different. And therefore, it always keeps you on your toes. So a lot of people get confused when I say I'm a change management. They think, what? Like, and they automatically think that's just comms and training. But it's so much more than that. It's the kind of strategic programming and approach of how you support a lot of people to adopt something different to the status quo. Humans, by nature, we are resistant to change, like it or not. We haven't evolved as much. And this kept us safe back in the prehistoric eras where anything new was symbolised like danger, danger in your brain. So this is still programmed in us. So I help people more readily accept changes to how they work. It could be a divestment of an asset. It could be a restructure. It could be an acquisition. Or it could be something as simple as a significant technology adoption. So I help. I manage that entire process to make sure that it happens faster, 
cheaper and with better outcomes. I think in the last few years, obviously with COVID, mm-hmm. change management is probably a bit more of a household name. Yeah, it was a great business card <laughs> for what I do. <laughs> absolutely. What are some of the challenges with being a change management leader or some of the challenges that you see when you work with organisations? So just the environment that we're in now, so our ability to absorb information, it's actually plummeted to two and a half times less than pre-pandemic levels mm. because we had something called a surge capacity and that's been depleted because we've been in the disaster mode in the past two years. So we've got dwindling attention spans. We're more distracted than ever. And as we've seen in the tech industry, we're expected to do more with less now. So it's competing for that mind space and people's eyeballs is very hard because behavior change means you have to concentrate and stop and intentionally unlearn the way that you've been doing things for a long time and learn something new. So that actually needs a lot of calories. Another challenge would be Still, it's very hard to for organisations to realise that managing change is not a casual part-time thing that you can just mm. expect other people to pick up. You need a dedicated expert to kind of always keep their eyes on board and make sure and constantly have the pulse of the organisation and the key influences within that organisation. And last but not least, another big challenge is leaders delegating their role of a resistant manager. I can help identify resistant hotspots. I can tell you this person's feeling that way, this department's feeling this way, but it's up to the leaders to actually roll up their sleeves and directly engage with those people to help remove those obstacles. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Why don't we kick off into the nominations today? You Mm -hmm. picked durian for your nomination of food, (laughs) which I have tried. Most people would know Durian. Quite native to Southeast Asia. Why have you picked that for us today? (laughs) (laughs) I think because people have an instant knee-jerk reaction to durian and I find it's the the same with me. They're either like, I like you straight away or like, no, you're not my cup of tea. Durian is very hard to describe. Yes, Uh, It can be really sweet. It can be a little bit salty. It's quite a hybrid. And that's the same with me. I find that people find it hard to describe me. I often hold two contrarian qualities together. On an aesthetic note, people often think I look quite regal and they often call durian the queen of fruit. So I was like, okay, those are three good reasons. Yes. yes. (laughs) Well, we don't have a video connected with the podcast, but definitely you have a very regal or classy kind of demeanor to how you present yourself, I think, and how you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) What's your favorite way of eating durian? Frozen. Frozen. Yeah. And that's my big tip for people that don't like it. For my friends that have first tried it fresh and they're like, oh, I freeze it and I give it to them again. And it's a lot better because the smell isn't as pungent. Yes. It's often the smell that like hits you when yes. you're eating it and you're like, oh my God, I can't do it. Yes. Or if, it's, if it's frozen, it desensitizes that. I love it frozen. Familiar. I'll often put it into chunks. Did you grow up eating it because it is a fruit that's more native to Southeast Asia? Yes, I grew up eating it. My granddad loved it and he passed it on to me. (laughs) I find with some of these more local tastes, red bean in Chinese culture, and it's not just China, is something that most of us grow up eating and it's very common 
in buns and desserts. But what I realized when I was living in Shanghai is that red bean is not a common taste and not an acquired mm. taste to people in Australia and the US. And mm. so a lot of my friends really dislike red bean because yeah. it's just such a strange texture, strange taste. And a lot of that comes from how young you were when you were introduced yeah. to, yeah, to yeah. the flavours and the taste. And I think if I had had durian when I was much younger, perhaps I would enjoy it a lot more <laughs> than the first time I, yeah. I think I was in my 20s and it was a very unpleasant <laughs> experience. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm willing to try it again. I'm willing to give it another go, perhaps frozen as you suggest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your Music nomination for us today mm. is something a little bit interesting. Tell us what you have picked. Gregorian monk chanting. I'm not religious, but I, lots of people say I do everything fast. Like I eat fast, I read fast, I write fast. Everything seems to be moving at hyperspeed and my brain finds it very hard to relax and stay still. Tried meditation, doesn't do it for me. Tried yoga, again, not really, even at the very end when I'm in Shavasana, I'm still like ticking through my to-do list. I have Gregorian monk chanting playing in the background and it's something to do about the megahertz, the frequency that it's on. I feel a little bit more normal. <laughs> Is that what you yeah, do yeah. after a stressful day or in preparation for a after? A after you run your change management business and also mm. your fashion uh, business as well, how do you work on prioritizing and managing your time throughout all your different projects and finding tools, for example, the Gregorian monk music or others to really help you with self-care as well as excelling in what you're doing. In terms of prioritizing my time, I'm very big into diary management. The things that are not in my genius zone I outsource that stuff. It doesn't make sense for me to keep battling with invoicing and LinkedIn and admin like that. So I have a VA that supports me. I also have a graphic designer. Uh, It's all to do with value. You need to value your time. Don't think of those sort of things as an expense. It's actually an investment and it frees me up to do more higher value adding work. In terms of tools, there's so many things in my tech stack. I'm sure a lot of people use them also. Zapier, Mm -hmm. Slack, um, the entire G Suite, And I use really simple tools and make use of automation as well. Mm. Lots of CRM stuff that allows me to send messages in bulk. And in terms of how do I balance that with self-care, self-care is just as important as client delivery. I work remotely. I've been fully remote for about three years. Next week, I'm going to New Caledonia just because I feel like it. (laughs) These are the opportunities you can leverage for yourself if you're with the right employee employer or if you run your own business that's predominantly remote. It didn't used to always be like this. I used to have a very high pressure job in the mining industry, constantly travel at the beck and call of the executive. I left that all behind three years ago to travel 
the path less traveled. I'm curious to know, this is a slight off tangent, but your mm. shift from a stable corporate yeah. job, salary, yeah. to yeah. really having to hustle, especially yep. at the start of growing your business. Oh, 100%. I know that from my family, there's always a hesitation from Asian parents, especially the older generation, in terms yeah, yeah. of taking yeah. risks. Like that. Yeah, my family, I don't have parents, zero support. They're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> You've just walked away from a half a million dollar package. If you don't like that company, just go to a different company, work for a bank. It's just a totally different mindset, totally yeah. different, no support whatsoever, no backing. Yeah. So what I had to realize is that I didn't need their support <laughs> and I didn't want to look back when I turned 40 and think, oh, what mm. if I did something different and I didn't want to live with any regrets and at the end of the day if it doesn't work who freaking cares the wheels will keep turning corporate's always going to be there but none of us are getting any younger so if you want to take a chance on creating something from nothing then now's the time to do it now's the time to do it when everybody's resetting I really don't think there's any such thing as job stability nowadays a friend of mine very very senior in Snapchat, number two, actually, about mm. to take being groomed to take over the CEO role, got given the flick. Mm. Had been there 12 years. The only person you need to be loyal to is yourself. Yes. And I think that goes to what you said earlier as well about finding your own value in mm. what you're doing and in your business. All right. Let's jump back into our nominations. For movie, you have suggested yep. Minari. So no. the plot of that is that it's a Korean family moves to the US in a really small town. We're not talking LA or anything like that. And just the culture clash that they found. And they also have a batshit crazy grandma in the plot. Yes. And my grandma is a little bit like that. <laughs> when yeah. I moved to WA, there was no one that looked like us. We were one yeah. of the first Asian families to move. And I completely totally felt like a fish out of water and I didn't understand why I was getting teased and people were being mean to me it brought back memories of my own childhood yeah yeah and I think the film did very well it won a bunch of awards was nominated for mm. a lot of Oscars how has been Australian Asian Australian and that kind of cultural aspect played a role in what you're doing now or how you're bringing that to a lot of the leadership and the advocacy roles that you're doing? I want more organisations to realise that having two cultures in one is a huge advantage. It's not a disadvantage. Yes. And I found this in the workplace also. Like I'm actually naturally introverted and I'm not the one that's constantly speaking in meetings. But when I do speak, I've thought about it. It's insightful and it makes people stop and think. So I think especially when it comes to whose leadership material, mm -hmm. often they look at the most dominant, loudest person as, yep, that person's got what it takes. So there's a new kind of emerging leader that's more thoughtful, probably quiet compared to the rest. And it doesn't mean that that's worse. It's a different kind of leadership that's now being more and more appreciated in the workplace. When you're consulting and you're advising companies on change management, having more diversity, drawing from your own experiences, whether it's culture or upbringing, do you find that to be an advantage that you can bring to the table? 
Oh, definitely, because the strategies that are put forward by nature more inclusive and it considers the needs and wants and the traits of more people to allow greater participation. And that's what you need when you're trying to change behaviour. You need that engagement, that buy-in. You want people to co-create and participate. So by being from a different ethnic background, I create more psychologically safe environments for people Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. You're talking about relationships and connections. Your person of clout that you've nominated, who I adore as well, is Esther Perel. Do you want to tell people who may have not heard of her who she is and why you have chosen her today? I'm so obsessed with her. I saw her speak in Sydney. She was freaking amazing. She has turned the idea of relationships on its Ted. Um, She's a well-known psychotherapist that's based in New York. Why I love her is that she makes waves. Like she's a change advocate in the relationship paradigm. And I feel like us looking the way we do, but living where we are and being quite westernized, we are constantly challenging convention and tradition. And I think she's emblematic of that, especially her talks about marriage. I find particularly interesting. For example, she said marriage back a few decades ago, was for economic benefit. And so it was a safety and stability driver. Whereas now what we're finding is women are in control of their own economic conditions. So our qualities that we seek in a partner have dramatically changed. It's not actually about economics anymore. We want love. We want excitement in this generation. A lot of marriages dissolve, not because people are unhappy, but because they could be happier. So I thought that was particularly interesting. The changing relationship paradigms, it's just very interesting perspectives that kind of make me think. I started listening to her podcasts about Mm. five, six years ago. Where should we begin? Where should we begin? And Mm. she counsels a lot of real life couples on Mm. real issues. And what I really like about her is her way of being incredibly poignant Yes, and drawing yes. out the core issues. And she's from Belgium originally. Yeah. She's not native to the US. Um, it's yeah. her second home. She yeah. speaks with a strong accent. For me, hearing someone who's somewhat an outsider, but to be able to really connect and bring out some of those core issues that apply across cultures and backgrounds is really special. I actually have her game, Friska. I'm not sure if you have. Oh, the card game. Her card game. Yeah, 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 me too. (laughs) Do you? Yeah, I haven't played it yet. I actually have these cards. I'm going to choose a question and ask you. There's one that says, I'm proud I stood up for myself when. I'll let you think about it. And the reason why I chose this one is because of a lot of work that you're doing in being a leader, an Asian, young Asian female leader in this space, I imagine a lot of challenges that you faced and I think be a voice to many women, people from minority backgrounds. I've got an example. Amazing. It was when I was contracting to a very large engineering company. I was the change lead for a new performance management platform that ruffled a lot of feathers because the new structure meant it uncovered previously hidden underperformance. It was the first time ever I was going to be introduced to the entire global leadership team. And the program director came into the room. I was part of his team and he goes, oh yeah, and this is Friska. She just makes things look pretty. And I thought, 
do I just <laughs> giggle and say, <laughs> and I chose to take a risk. So it was the first time ever that I'd met the CEO, the CFO, mm-hmm. like all these big wigs. And I said, actually, John, I do a lot more than that. And I've got three more degrees than you do. And it was like, silence. Wow. And I'm like, far out. Was that a career-limiting move? Then the CFO broke the ice and laughed his ass off and said, I'm sure Frisca does a lot more than that. And the guy that made the faux pas said, oh my God, yes, she does. I'm so sorry. I've got a daughter. I don't even know why I said that. But it felt like an eternity, but I wrestled with, do I speak up? Yes. Because it was a risky move, right? People could say, oh, wow, she's a troublemaker. First time I'm meeting all these people, but I backed myself and said, look, I'm not there because of how I look. Um, It's because of what's in here. And for people that can't see, I'm tapping my brain. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And for women, especially Asian women, young women, that's a big, big barrier to stand up for yourself and be more assertive. To end our podcast and why we have these conversations is to tell some really interesting stories Mm. from unique Australians who are using Asia capability or connected with Asia in some way Mm. to make an impact to their work and to their community. I'd love to end with maybe one thing that you think as Australians should think about or to do to embrace Asia a little bit more, why they should build a bit more Asia capability to be more competitive globally. The total addressable market is huge in Asia. We're right there. We're the closest trading partners, closest economic partner. I think me having lived overseas, travelled extensively, I feel every time I come back here, I feel like people think they're legends in their own lunchbox. It's quite a closed perspective and view. I think we should be more curious about our neighbours and see how we can cooperate and collaborate with them because I think that's the only... We can't keep relying on mining. Mining has been the backbone of this economy for far too long, but resources will end at some point or another. So it makes sense to start planting those seeds now, how we could diversify. Yes. I think you hit the nail on the head where you talked about neighbours, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They're right next to us. Europe Mm. is very far away. There's a large time difference and same for the US. It makes Mm. sense to connect a bit more closely with those that are geographically located close to us. Mm. This has been really great, Prisca. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks, Lucy.